Hello, Mike. Hello, Julian. What are we going to talk about on Veterinary Ramblings tonight? Well, I thought we'd chat to a dog behaviourist who specialised in separation anxiety using positive reinforcement. And that means the only cage we'll be talking about tonight will be Nicholas. Wow. Well, her name's Petrina Firth, so let's get her on. Yay! Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Hi, I'm Petrina. Hello. Hello Hi. Hi, Julian. <laughs> Hi, Julian. He's Mike. Hi. Hello. Hi, Julian and Mike. I'm Petrina. Very pleased to meet you. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. Where else are you based? Uh, on the internet now, the internet, basically yeah. anywhere in the world. Uh, digital nomading. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but pet I coach was itself? In central London, and zone one, zone two, yeah. London, basically. Um, yeah. was all my in person stuff. Yeah. Oh. Um, pet coach international now. Pet coach, um, oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I is have that, is that because of Is that because of COVID and the fact you're now on, on the internet more? Yeah, partly. Um, and just because the nature of my work changed to mean that I was doing that anyway. So uh, a, a few years ago, I made a kind of decision, really, that I wanted to move around, live somewhere else and also not do so much in-person stuff. So I retrained to specialise in what I do now. Right. Um, so, yeah. Cool. So so what exactly do you do, Petrina? <laughs> Uh, I've got a few hats now. Okay. So um, I am a certified se- separation anxiety trainer. So I trained with Milena Di Martini, who's kind of the who's a world-renowned expert on separation anxiety. She wrote the original first. I got her first book in. Uh, I have her second book here. So she wrote this book, which you might have seen, which is separation um, anxiety for dogs. So, um, yeah, if if anybody in practice wants to learn more about separation anxiety, that is a whole deep dive into the subject uh, on more of a professional level. Mm -hmm. Um, So I retrained with her about two, three years ago. I was already doing separation anxiety as part of my behavior practice. But this offered me a new way of working, which was all remote, all online, not limited to your client geographical area. So I did her mentoring course um, and I've been doing that since. Absolutely love it. Um, last year for CPD, I did uh, this lady's course. So Julie Naismith, she's, oh, yes, she's also yeah. fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Her trainer course was brilliant. It was great for some, some more support to learn from Julie. Um, everybody should be doing CPD anyway. So I thought, brilliant CPD. I'm going to go and do her trainer course. Right. Um, uh, so I so I teach people to teach their dogs to be alone, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So I do that. Um, I am also the marketing manager for the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. Mm-hmm. So uh, right. you've probably heard of the APDT. We're the most mm-hmm. longest established positive reinforcement dog training organization in the UK. Um, so I, I now have taken over their marketing a couple of months ago. Can we just just pick on that just for a moment? Um, The fact that it is, and you you, um, quite rightly said, it's it's positive reinforcement. Uh, And a few of our listeners may not know what what positive reinforcement means, but it's very important, I think, to to distinguish that from from a negative reinforcement protocol. Yeah, so when the APDT was formed in 1995, I think it was, yes, it was, It was choke chains, it was marching around our church hall, it was telling your dog off, it was Mm. a lot of dominance, alpha, pack leader type mentality, you know, don't let your dog through the door before you, don't let your dog on the sofa, always eat before your dog, all this kind of nonsense science that had come about because of a misunderstanding in wolf behaviour, he misinterpreted it, Um, and so we ended up with some horrible training methods, you know. so in 1995, John Fisher and many others set up the APDT to offer people uh, accredited and assessed trainers who people could trust and know that they weren't using these aversive methods. So that's how the APDT came about. Um, positive reinforcement means we don't we use kind, effective methods. That's our mantra. Um, and we don't use things that cause fear, pain. We don't compel the dog to do anything. Um, we we train them using love and rewards 
just like you would a three-year-old child. Maybe Absolutely. you don't train them. Maybe you do well, train them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but much like with child rearing these days, you kind of you can't smack your kid in the supermarket, or if you do, you get a lot of looks, and and probably child protection would be called, you know. Um, and I think nowadays people are more that way inclined most mm. of the time. So. Yeah. So what what you're saying is that I can let my 16-year-old spaniel get on the sofa. Yeah, of course you can. Although if, you know, if they've got dodgy joints, you want to maybe build them some stairs so they can get down without hurting themselves. It's totally up to you. Lots of people don't want their dogs on their furniture for lots of reasons, but the what I want to sort of get across to you is what is the mentality behind it? Is it because you don't want dog fur on the sofa? Totally fine. Is it because you think your dog's going to dominate you and be your boss? No. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, so the, the, the Animal Behaviour and Training Council is an umbrella organisation of which there are a lot of membership bodies, of which the APDT is one of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's very important if people are wanting to find a, a, a pet behaviourist of any sort to look for those qualifications. Because yeah, if they're um, not members, then they could well be cowboys. Yeah, I would always say to people, you know, read reviews, go and watch them work, watch their classes, look out for certain code words, find out how long they've been doing it. Um, the, the, the field of dog training and behaviour, companion animal training behaviour is totally unregulated. Anyone mm. can call themselves a trainer or a behaviourist without a single qualification. Um, of course, there are levels. So, you know, from from being a, an APDT trainer to uh, a cope behaviourist, which I also am, um, going on to be a clinical animal behaviourist. It, it just mm-hmm. depends how far you want to take your education. But I think you also need to remember that there are people that have been doing this job for 30 years that don't have a single scrap of paper that are incredible trainers and behaviourists. Mm-hmm. So I really think, although academic qualifications are are important they aren't the be all and end all for some people that doesn't mean that there aren't people that have been doing it 30 years wrong okay so yeah (laughs) how how long you've been in the business now for over 15 years haven't you yeah 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 I can't believe it when I was when I was looking at it earlier I really couldn't believe it (laughs) it was 10 but no 15 yeah it wasn't my wasn't my first career it wasn't something that I um thought I would go into but yeah that's, so what was that's your another first, bit of a story first, what was your first career then I, I went to art college and I was a bit of an art lovey and I used to run a design agency in London Bridge um uh yeah being a studio manager and then um how I got into dog training was um I had got a dog uh, I'd taken her to some horrible dog training classes of that kind of dominant mm. telling your dog off type thing. Not choke chains, but there were other dogs in class with choke chains on. Um, the and then I went to style. Exactly. Yeah, mm. it was about four pounds a week to go. And I mean, this is yeah, 18 years ago, but still four pounds 18 years ago wasn't a whole lot of money. Um, and I was like, I knew this wasn't really the way I wanted to train my dog. It wasn't very nice. Um, and then I went and watched a clicker class run by uh, a, a diplomat, uh, one of Sarah Whitehead's trainers. Mm. And she had these eight week old puppies, nine week old puppies, just doing the most incredible things. And, I, and it just blew me away. And I, I walked up to her afterwards and we had a mutual friend. That's why I was there um, and said, do you make a living out of this? Because it just looked like the most fun job in the world. Mm. Um, and she was like, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah. Um and that was me like, right, okay, how do I do this then? Oh, right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, mm. I, I, I'd i grown up with lots and lots of, of animals in the house, dogs and cats and tortoises and rabbits and guinea pigs and, and all sorts of things. So I always absolutely loved animals, but I never thought, unless I was a vet, <laughs> which I didn't really want to do the blood thing. Um, and I had visions <laughs> of, uh, I watched Only Creatures Great and Small, the original series. So I remember the, the glove up the bottom and all that kind of thing. And I was like, I definitely don't want to be a vet. Look, um, me, there, there are worse way, uh, ways to keep warm on a cold day on a farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, um, 
that so I, I thought oh I'd be lovely to work with animals but didn't think I could ever afford to do that I live in central London you know a vet nurse salary most of the time is like what your monthly rent is you know it's or, or working in a rescue or something I don't know how people that work in dog rescues in central London like Battersea I don't think many of them live in London because it's just so expensive yeah, yeah. um so yeah so then I I sort of started on my retraining journey using my um proper job money to pay for it and it wasn't cheap but it was I, I learned from some amazing people who are no longer with us like um you know Ray Coppinger and Yak Pangsep and Sarah Whitehead's still around thankfully P- but Peter mm-hmm. Neville um oh Peter Neville yeah. yeah 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 Peter's a good friend of mine I've known him for a long time now um Val Strong taught me you know there's like there's lots of names that people will remember that I met through Cope um mm-hmm. who really set, set me up on the right path of this is what you should be doing. And, and unfortunately, the field of dog training education is unregulated and there are still lots of education providers which don't offer very much quality. So um, I was lucky to get in with the right people at the right time and, and learn the right way rather than learning from people the wrong way, essentially. So how, how did you feel then? Because obviously, okay, so you're holding down a regular job. And you're busy training yourself and learning about behavior and behavior patterns and how to modify those and work with owners or clients, whatever expression. So I started out by um, by what I t- always tell people that want to be a dog trainer to do. Go and find a dog trainer, watch them, sweep the floor, make the tea, clean up the pee, you know, really kind of earn your juice that way because mm-hmm. you'll get to meet so many dogs and their owners and it's really the owners you need to worry more about because you're training the owners to train the dogs. Right. So I, I did that with uh, with Karen England, and I also went and did it with Shirag Patel. You might you know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know him absolutely. Um, yeah. So and kind of you pay your dues that way by learning, getting that that practical kind of knowledge. Um, I had my own dog, which kind of helped, and I'd had dogs for a long time as well, um, and then also did courses with Sarah Whitehead did my initial cope kind of um, mini course and then went on to study for the full diploma um, who else I mean I, I I've got like stuff coming out my ears really in terms sure. of education okay. all right yeah. so so you're, you're you're professional executive by day and an apprentice creative an, an apprentice broom sweeper by night okay so yeah basically mm-hmm. so no sleep then <laughs> not a lot no I mean kind of a couple of nights a week I would do like a nine till ten o'clock at night sort of stint right yeah so, so there came a point where you were going to walk out of the door of the executive office for the first time and in effect open your own office of you this is your new business you're a dog behavior trainer yeah um my work, fortunately, had offered me voluntary redundancy because they were restructuring. Right. And I went, thank you very much. <laughs> I will take <laughs> that. that. Okay, so and you, then, had, you had that helping hand out of the door, in effect. Okay. Yeah, I really did. I really did. Um, uh, I also had a friend who, a coincidence, ran a pet shop. So uh, she needed some time off. So I went and worked there for a while, for a, for a few months. Um, met lots of different people, you know. I've kind of managed to meet the right people at the right time to open doors for me. So I've been incredibly lucky. Um, and also I'm the kind of person that you might already know that I can just talk to anybody. So I will literally just talk to anybody and <laughs> that's how you meet people. The, so. the, there is, of course, the adage that you make your own luck. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so you were sort of eased into it with, with your previous employers going, Actually, do you know what? <laughs> okay, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm presuming it wasn't quite as nerve wracking as it would have been if you'd uh, voluntarily said, "By then, Monday, I'm setting up my new business." No, it wasn't, and I mean, for a while, um, I did other stuff as well. So I, I remember in the first couple of years, I was working in a, a rowdy bar in Brixton at night, which was like quite fun as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always had little bits going on in the background. In, in various pet related things to sort of keep me going at those initial stages because 
Sure, especially with something like dog training, it's not like dog grooming where you've got those repeat customers again and again and again. You're always looking for where's my new clients because I've seen them, I've trained their puppy, I've fixed their dog, whatever. Now I've got to get the next one. Now I've got to get the next one. Now I've got, you know, um, mm-hmm. classes were um, my favorite thing to do, you know, um, teaching people in four different locations in London group training classes. That was really busy. Lots of people don't like that because they don't like talking to crowds, but I feel quite happy doing that. It's still quite natural doing it. Right. Um, and maybe it's just a time and experience thing. Cool. Yes. Uh, I read a, an interesting article about whether whether people actually are introverts or extroverts or, or whether um, it's just a comfort zone that you can train yourself in or out of. Um, I think there are, there are situations where all of us can be a bit tongue-tied, whether it's in large groups or whether it's in, in small groups. I, I find it often easier to talk to to a large or a huge group of people uh, than I can to talk seriously to two or three. Hmm. Yeah. I can't talk and seriously there's, anyway. And there's also that side of you, which is the counsellor and the empath, where when I speak to somebody, I'm I'm doing very little speaking and I'm just listening. Mm-hmm. So if I'm with lots of people, I actually can appear quite quiet because I'm interested in what they've got to say. Right. So it's, a, it's it's an interesting one. Yeah. Who you're, who you're most uncomfortable, who you're most comfortable with. Hmm. So, so you don't miss the creative agency then? No. So you, you're not suffering from anxiety, separation anxiety at all? No, no, not at all. Um, I missed, I missed initially working with the people you know, working in a nice, fun environment, having that kind of girl about town lifestyle and, and things like that. Um, but I really like being my own boss. Uh, and until recently, I sort of said I'm basically unemployable now because I've worked for myself for so long that mm-hmm. I couldn't have a boss. But actually, as luck would have it, I'm now kind of freelancing for somebody else, which we haven't kind of touched on. Um and I love working with a team of people. To again, it's it's so good. <laughs> so but there is there is something nice about being in a group or in a team, isn't there? No, no matter what you do, and we'll get onto that in a minute because it sounds intriguing. But we'll leave our listeners in intrigue for the moment because um, Mike gave you the perfect segue to uh, to lead into separation anxiety. And, and we we hear a lot as vets. Uh, we hear a lot about separation anxiety. It may be something that, that our listeners aren't aware about aware of but but separation anxiety in dogs is is a huge problem and it's becoming a bigger problem with all these lockdown puppies isn't it so do you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about separation anxiety what it is and what we what yeah so um separation anxiety is a bit of a catch-all term really it can mean lots of different things so the actual diagnosis of separation anxiety clinical separation anxiety means an overattachment to one person so you know the Cocker Spaniel's got an overattachment to mum and only mum will do. What we typically see is what's called isolation distress, where any human will do. So if I'm with mum, it's fine. If I'm with dad, it's fine. If I'm with the daycare or the sitter, I'm fine. But if I'm not, if I'm without a human, that's when I panic. You also get confinement phobia or containment distress or when people crate dogs because they think that will fix separation anxiety. You get barrier frustration. You get separation, you know, the separation related problems, separation related behavior. There's, there is a lot, it's like a whole world cloud around what is separation anxiety. Um, so it's called many, many different things. Mm. Um, but most of the time it is some form of isolation distress. And there can be some frustration in there in terms of the barrier or the crate being confined yeah. as well. Yeah. And it is, it is a phobia, isn't it? How it works mm-hmm. on similar, yeah, absolutely. similar lines. Yeah. To, to- I guess people being afraid of snakes or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's the same degree of terror that those dogs get. Oh, yeah. I mean, the list of kind of separation-related behaviours where they're suffering from separation anxiety, isolation, distress, um, can can really range from just like mild to moderate whining to full-scale, I am um, ripping my claws out because I'm doing a displacement behavior in the mm. corner of the room or trying to escape a crate or, you know, and even sort of self-mutilation because licking soothes 
than chewing Sue's, so they chew on themselves. Yeah, um, yeah. Or they or they damage the walls and the doors, uh, and and that's that's when people tend to bring them to the vets and say we've got a destructive dog, and uh, we can't do anything with it. Yeah, and, we're, and when what I think that means back, is they haven't tried to do anything with it. Possibly, but yeah. also I think people don't understand what it is. They think that the dog is taking it out on them, or it's a dirty protest. I hear that one a lot. You know, oh well, they've mm. peed and pooed. That's because they're annoyed that we've left, and it's like, no, they're stressed. And yeah. when I think back to my when I was two, because this is what you did in the eighties, my sister went up to the pet shop up the road and bought a dog. And that dog ate through my mother's entire recipe collection when we went out and would do lots and lots of other things. And now I can look back as a professional and go, oh, that dog probably was from some dodgy or unscrupulous breeder and had separation problems. But at the time mm-hmm. it was like that naughty dog. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, a, we had a similar dog that would routinely eat bits of his basket when we left him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and it's... It's a bigger problem at the moment. Am I right in, in, in saying that with uh, a lot of people going back to work after uh, after lockdown? Yeah, I, would, yeah, I mean, the, my caseload has kind of increased since COVID. Part of it is that people have realised that their dog has a problem and that they've been at home with them and they may be more in tune with them. So they're picking up on their stress. Part of it may be that they've read articles on it, so they're now better informed. So now they're seeking help. Um and also separation anxiety can be caused by a change in routine, a change in circumstance. Um, mm. So there's that as well. There's the dogs that were happy to be left. They're suddenly with their owner 24 hours a day. The only exercise and out of the house time their owner is getting is taking the dog for a walk, which we all used as a wonderful excuse to get out during lockdown. Right. <laughs> um, and now the dog's like, you're not with me 24 hours a day. I'm upset. Yeah. You know? So, so um, and the advice you give to, to owners who are preparing to go back to work and worried about about their dogs? I am. Um, I would say start off very small. So film your dog and just go out for a couple of minutes and and see what they do. Basically, filming it, you know, um, just setting up a Zoom call or a FaceTime or something like that, so that you can you can see it. If possible, record it because then you can watch it back in slow mo as well. That's always useful. Um, and find out if there is a problem. And if there is a problem, you can then either seek the help of a professional or you can start to do stuff on your own. And it will just be as simple as you going up and opening and closing the door and popping outside for three seconds. You know, at the beginning, you have to go really, really slowly because the dog's threshold is so low. The threshold uh, of the point that they're comfortable of being alone is, is so low. So we work just under this threshold and then just start to build up on it. Um, the other thing you want to be looking at is, am I meeting all my dog's needs? So am I um, giving it enough exercise? Am I giving it enough mental stimulation? Am I activating all the bits of the brain that it needs to, to be activated? Um, should I get a dog walker, dog sitter? Does my dog enjoy the company of other dogs? Because actually going out with a, wa- a walker and spending some time with members of your own species is hugely rewarding and satisfying for dogs and that can make quite a big difference to their mood Mm. um the age-old saying a tired dog is a happy dog well we don't want to completely turn our dogs into athletes where they demand 5k runs from us every day (laughs) but they do need us they do need to have their basic needs met and you know if you've got a border collie that you think going for a 15 minute walk before work is going to be okay it's probably not so it's it's really not and and border collies are uh, pr- probably the, the dog that we see most of with separation anxiety at the practice. Really, uh, because of just the way they are. Absolutely, um, Pe- people people love them and don't appreciate how active they uh, they, they can be and they need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And those lockdown puppies that people got and then spent twenty three hours of the day with them, they then expect to. Well, I've got to go back to work in two weeks, and it's just it's just not feasible. So. No. Um, being a bit realistic with your expectations of okay for the next few months you're probably going to have to shell out for daycare or a sitter or a walker or your aunt that lives up the road your dog needs this company and they're struggling basically and if you can try and put it into sort of human terms they are not coping on their own they're having a bit of a meltdown you you have to try and have a bit of sympathy with your dog (laughs) 
you, you, do, you do. I'm very impressed, by the way. How do you know my aunt lives up the road? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's moved me in two weeks, so she won't anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just separation anxiety that you, that you treat, obviously. It, it, it's other, uh, mm-hmm. other behavioural problems. Um, what, what, what do you see more these days? Uh, Is it separation anxiety or, or other problems? Um, when I was doing in-person cases in London, a lot of reactivity. So, uh, and some of that was fear-based reactivity, um, but a lot of it was frustration-based reactivity. And that becomes, uh, it's, it's generally because of uh, inappropriate socialization. So um, I was really impressed, actually, that you had Anita Dow, was it, on the on one of your yes. ramblings, mm-hmm. who's yes, a current COPE student. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, and she was talking about puppy socialization. And what we tend to do with puppies is over socialize them. So right. there's a saying, and it was it's actually a saying I got from a pit bull trainer in America. And it was, you don't have to meet every dog you meet. And what that means is when you're walking down the street with your puppy, meeting a dog is seeing it across the road and going, you're right. And the other dog going, you're right. Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, great. And they carry on walking. It's not let's let your puppy drag you to the other side of the road to meet that other dog because the other dog might not want to meet them in that close Mm -hmm. proximity. And it's also teaching your puppy, you just get to involve yourself in everything. And then when you're about 10, 11 months old and you're quite strong, I'm not going to want you to do that. And then you're going to get very, very frustrated with your owner. And that's when we start to see a lot of reactivity. So Mm -hmm. a lot of reactivity is it's basically frustrated greetings and it's this kind of, oh, I really need to get to you. How can I get to you to say hello? And then the other dog says, you're rude. I don't like you barking in, near me like that. I'm going to bark back. And then it becomes this dialogue. And then the reactive dog says, oh, that scared me. And then <laughs> yeah. you just end up with this back and forth. So I see a lot of dog-dog reactivity, not so much of the human-directed aggression, actually, in, hmm. in London. Maybe I was just lucky. <laughs> Um, but I didn't see so much of that. Um, I started to see a lot of foreign rescue dogs who were hugely shut down. Um, mm. Kind of. Yeah, take, we, you know, we're getting a lot of Romanian dogs and um, other, other you know, Spanish dogs. And my heart goes out to, to, to those dogs and people working in those rescue centres. But I, I don't really think that, uh, what's the old saying? Charity begins at home, doesn't it? And I think. In many cases, we overlook the, the, the dogs that need rehoming from this country. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, I think the problem is in this country, you go to most rescue kennels, although it's, it's kind of changing now because there's so many pedigrees in rescue, but it would tend to be big bull breeds, big brown bull breeds, and nobody would want them, you know, and so they would, they would want something cute and fluffy. And then, of course, saving a dog from a street in Cyprus tells a lovely story about you. So you get mm-hmm. a good, like, pat on the back. Um, but also rescues, rightly or wrongly, make it incredibly hard for the average person to adopt. So yes. the questionnaires are pages and pages and pages. And then they say, oh, you're in London and you haven't got a garden. Absolutely not. Whereas they can, I, I'm, and I, I won't name names because I don't actually know their names, but I've had clients where, they're like, oh, yeah, so we kind of applied for a dog and they didn't do a home check. They just kind of got us to do a quick tour of the house on the phone. And then three weeks later, we were picking up our dog from the back of a van in Reading Services. And then we were moving them to Brixton and they'd been living, you know, on the streets outside Athens or Serbia or. Yeah. And you yeah. kind of think they were probably quite all right doing what they were doing there they might have only lived till they were five but they were having like they were living like a dog would live yeah and and kind of like the majority of dogs in the world you know are the pet population the pampered pet population of dogs is very very small when you look at dog populations as a whole and these dogs do all right you know the ones that live on mexico city dump they're doing fine but humans like to try and you know bring them in and rehome them and and give you that kind of story Mm. um so yes lots of uh shut down nervous dogs wondering where the hell they are that uh, i'd see quite a bit of that some of them work out absolutely fine as well that's not to say they don't but it takes a lot of understanding that this dog is not like the my first puppy storybook that you read when you were seven they are not going to be like that no they may never be like that 
it's going to take time. So. It, it is. And, and some people like that challenge, don't they? Some people do like being almost a martyr to their dog. Uh, I, I see a lot of clients who, when when they've uh, when the dogs have lived their four score and ten or whatever it is years, um, and it's time to uh, time to say goodbye to them, the owners always mm-hmm. breathe a sigh of relief and say, "Well, you know, we struggled every day for the last ten years with that dog, and yeah, well, why? Why? It's supposed to be a companion, man's best friend, not not your enemy that you fight with all the time." Yeah. yeah. And that kind of brings you also onto the subject of behavioural euthanasia as well and understanding that actually there are some dogs who are just wired wrong and you may have got them as a puppy at 10 weeks old, but there's something inherently wrong that you've tried medication, you've tried behaviour modification, you've tried everything and you're still not making any progress. So now this dog is biting your children and everybody else it meets in the street. And it's like this dog is now a danger and they're living a living hell because... They are not happy people. You know, if you meet any humans with anger problems, they are not happy people. They're depressed, troubled souls. And sometimes that is the kindest thing to do. To the people? To the dog. I don't think we can euthanize. Oh, we're going down that dangerous route there, aren't we? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) I only get grumpy occasionally. Yeah, come on, Mike, it's for your own good. Now, I was interested to hear that you do scent training as well, mm-hmm. scent work. Uh, one, yes. of my clients, one of my clients has a bumblebee sniffing dog. Okay. He, um, you're, uh, you're not surprised by this, Katrina. No, I know people that have dogs that sniff out bed bugs um, and Japanese knotweed. My friend, her dogs are training really? to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, their nose is incredible, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. more than we yeah. could even fathom. So, Absolutely. is this lady going to make a living out of this then? I think she possibly already does with her older dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. Japanese not weed detection. It's a thing. It, well, it, wow. it is a place. Um, it needs to go. So, yeah, why not? I, I I've got another. Have, I, want to, I want to train my dog to um, to sniff out truffles. Because I, I, I fancy doing that. Yeah, the only problem is he can't walk very far, so we need to carry him around, just see if he sniffs around and, and, and points with, with the one working leg. And, and I'm not sure how many truffles there are in central London, Petrina. No, not many. I'd have to nip over to France. That'd be fine, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no problem. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a great Nicolas Cage film, and I know this kind of is a bit controversial, great Nicolas Cage film. A recent film called Pig, which is about him and his truffle hunting pig, and it's a really lovely film. If you've not heard of it, I'd definitely recommend it. Yeah, I like. I've watched a lot. I'll um, I'll look out for that one. Hmm. I've heard. I've heard, Petrina. A lot of a lot of your your job, and you've actually alluded to this already in 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 this chat that um, a lot of your work is not necessarily working with the dogs per se, but training the the owners or, or the clients to to work with their animals in a particular way is that mm-hmm. can, can yeah. you delve into that a little bit more for us yeah i think as a a lot of people go into dog training because they love dogs not realizing that actually you're going to have very li- little interaction with the dog because the person that's on the other end of the lead is the person that's paying you to teach them how to train their dogs mm. now that's not to say you cannot go and be a dog trainer in terms of border force or prisons or the police and doing you know Mm. and being a dog handler but if you're looking to be a dog trainer you've really got to get on with people and you've got to know how to relate to people and look at how to get the best out of people when you're working with them so a lot of it is about relationship building and um, having a laugh with people a lot you know I am who I am I am I don't swear in front of clients particularly, but I'm, I am who I am. I'm very relaxed. Um, I'm not uptight. So it's, it's getting that rapport and, and getting the skills into them so that they know what they're doing with their dog. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it's all about, really. That is being a dog trainer. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned togetherness uh, as being part of the, uh, the, the package, if you like, that you, um, uh, that you present. <laughs> Uh, so that's mm-hmm. creating a stronger bond, presumably, then with the whole family and their and their dog. 
Yeah, a lot of times you'll go in and that relationship between the owner and their dog is quite fractured and they're at the end of their tether with this dog. And of course, the more that you're stressed, the more the dog picks up on the stress and then the more the dog acts up because they're stressed, which makes Mm. you more stressed. Um, So actually getting them to like their dogs and like doing stuff with their dogs um, is really important. So just doing fun stuff outside of the, this is the serious behavior modification stuff just getting them to have some fun and enjoy being with their dog and doing all the things that they want to do with their dog. Um, normal dog things, you know, it's not, not about telling them that you need to follow all of these rules and do all this stuff with your dog and you need to be a model dog owner. It's just, let, just go and have some fun with your dog mm-hmm. um, and building that connection. Because if you, as a saying, you know, this is something that I, uh, I, I was talking about the, the woman that I first worked with as a dog trainer, Karen England. She told me a saying and it was, if you get the emotions right, the behavior will follow. And it's so true. And it's so true for humans. Yeah, that's interesting. And Mm. it's so true for dogs. And and certainly all my work with COPE, all the underpinning has been about the emotions, you know, positive emotional activation rather than negative emotional activation. Um, But yeah, if you can get your dog to feel confident and want to be with you and, you know, basically think that you're not a bit of a dick, they're going to want to do more stuff with you and they're going to listen to you more, you know? Yeah. yeah but that's, it, that's, that's a good, um, it's a good attitude, actually. A good, uh, good way of looking at it. I, I always say um, I, I don't just treat animals because you, you can't just treat animals. Um, what, what is, what is a stray cat? You, know, you, you wouldn't necessarily have a business where you, you just treat animals in isolation. Uh, we, we treat the animal and owner bond. And uh, in, in, a, in a very similar way to you, if, if the patient's unwell, then the owner's suffering. Yeah. So, so what are some of the myths that come across in, in dog behaviour and, and dog training? What, what are we likely to come across then, Petrina? What do you have to calmly take a deep breath and count to 10 before you enlighten? Um, I mean, do- dominance is always a big one. Um, humping due to dominance that's always something that raises a little smile so humping humping, my dog humps other dogs and people Mm -hmm. say oh that's because they're being dominant or because they're reaching sexual maturity or whatever so so the humping one is always it makes me smile and when I say oh no it's actually just quite a natural behavior my French bulldog would hump her Springer Spaniel friend and she's a girl and he's a boy and there'd be nothing sexual going on there. It would just be that she was overexcited, over aroused. Humping feels good and it calms dogs down. So you'll quite often see a mother dog hump her puppies. If they're getting a little bit too rambunctious, she'll go in and give them all a quick hump <laughs> and then it calms <laughs> and stops them. And you'll see other dogs, if there's lots of dogs playing, you know, dogs will come in and hump to kind of try and diffuse situations. Um, mm. So, so humping's always an interesting one. So um, is that like distracting everybody else? Oh, my God, look what's going on over there. It just gets them to stop doing what they're doing. And dogs understand. They know that if somebody comes over and humps me, it, it's not going to be a sexy thing. It's going to be like that. they're kind of being a bit of a peacemaker or sometimes mm. called the fun police. You know, kind of, I want you to stop doing that. I'm going to come in and hump you, and that's going to stop and calm you down. Um, yeah. I tell you what, it's a good way to get banned from Tesco's. Then I was going to say, I suggest people don't use this the next time they go into a bar or into the supermarket. This, this is dog behaviour. Just trying to defuse the situation, darling. Yeah, no, that, that's what I told the judge last week. But they don't like you sniffing each other's bottoms, do they? They don't. They don't. No, no. Again, so the, not in Tesco's. So, so the humping is a natural behaviour. Then, so how how do you how do you modify that then, or don't you? I mean, dogs understand a lot more from each other than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes there needs to be a certain amount of autonomy. However, if your dog is always having, if your dog is doing a lot, a lot of humping, then that could be a sign that they're finding the situation too difficult. So doing some low arousal activities rather than high arousal, which off lead mm-hmm. dog play tends to be doing some scent work, doing some sniffing on the ground, something like that would be take them out of that situation because some dogs enjoy humping 
And some dogs really hate being humped. And you don't know, if you don't know the dog that your dog is going to hump, they might turn around and bite them. So mm-hmm. not everybody reacts positively to being humped, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I found so, out that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what nice me answer. too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So what about this humping leg thing then? Because that's dog dog v dog. I mean, we also see the humping behaviour when yeah. when Aunt Julie comes in, and and Tricky Woo immediately jumps up on Aunt Julie's leg and starts humping. Yeah. So if you look at um, you may you may you may not know Dr. Susan Friedman, applied behaviour analyst, really kind of amazing in the field of animal behaviour and uh, behaviour analysis. I can't even say the word analysis. She's got a saying WTF, which is what's the function? So if you've got a dog that's pumping a mm-hmm. person, a human, yeah. what's the function of that behavior? Now, it could be that pumping is soothing and it calms the dog down. Right. But it could also be that the function of that behavior is I get some form of attention from my owner. And for a lot of dogs, it doesn't matter if it's negative attention, telling them off or positive attention. It's something, it's some form of attention. Um, So it may have started out as an emotional response to a situation where I felt stressed, I felt over-aroused, I felt overexcited. I'm going to hump because that's going to calm things down. It's going to calm me down. And then it becomes a learnt response where I I then get attention from my owner. So your consequences, I get attention from the owner, therefore that behavior is reinforced. Um, and that's what you see a lot with dogs, actually. It initially starts out as an emotional problem and it then becomes alert response. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess it reinforces itself, doesn't it? Or, or it becomes reinforced by mm-hmm. by the owner's um, response to that behaviour. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Self-reinforcing behaviour, essentially. You know, a bit like barking. Barking because it made me feel good and, and now I'm going to continue barking because it's still making me feel good, you know. Absolutely. That don't sh- and why, and and why do owners shout shut up to the dogs when they're barking? Because the dog's gonna think, oh, it's barking. It's barking at me. Mm-hmm. Great, do mm-hmm. the right thing. Bark, shut up, bark, shut up, bark, shut up, bark, shut up. Yeah, hey, this is great fun. I can do this all day. I will. I'm attaching. Yeah. So Petrini, you mentioned that you used to do a lot of face to face work, but obviously as time has gone on, you're probably doing an awful lot more internet zoom stuff is is this how things are going what what's the future of this area yeah i think with the um lockdown from last year and that crazy crazy year people learned that you could do a lot of stuff online with your dog and there were already puppy training apps and dog training apps out there Mm -hmm. but they weren't either they weren't specifically for puppies or they weren't actually written by trainers they were kind of made by app companies as a bit of a fun add-on um so late last year I got involved with a startup who'd uh, created a puppy training app the app is called zigzag um and I think it's now like the number one rated or something uh in the app store and I absolutely love it so when I was talking earlier about I was working on my own and now I'm working with a team I now work with this um with this startup team and it's been really really rewarding mm-hmm. um I talked about it actually last week I was in the telegraph talking oh, wow. about technology how people have used technology due to COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk a little bit about the app in there um, in terms of the tools we use to connect because we're all in different countries, so or all around Europe, really. Um, so the, I've only ever met one of them face-to-face. Oh, wow. So um, this is an app. This is a particular app that you can download, and it's called ZigZag. So what exactly does it do? What's, what's the? So it the- takes you from... Um, pre-puppy so you can download it even before you've got your puppy mm-hmm. um and then it takes you through the weeks and what's really interesting about it is it was written by carolyn monteith that lots of people know she works with the kennel club she's um she's been on crufts presenting uh, she also won dog trainer of the year i think seven eight years ago or something um right. she wrote the initial program and she's also she trained as a coat behaviorist so it talks about all of the critical stages with your puppy and it focuses on life skills rather than obedience. And it focuses on socialization and habituation done in a controlled way so that it doesn't overwhelm your puppy. And it gives you sort of daily lessons to do with your puppy. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing it does, which I don't think any other dog training, puppy training app does 
is it focuses on breed specialisms. So, All right. you know, there are these breed do- breed groups. You've got your gun dogs, you've got your toy dogs, you've got your hounds, you've got your working dogs, and they all have different needs based on what they were bred to do. And these breeds are really, really important. Um, so the app has been specifically designed to suit you, your your dog's breed and your dog's age and, and lifestyle. Mm. Um, so now I do... Uh, a lot of the in-program stuff and and content work for them. Um, And we also have a team uh, and the app is now in the USA as well, which has been amazing. We now have expert support from um, qualified dog trainers and behaviorists that people can speak to on WhatsApp. So although there's a lot of stuff in the program, there's probably that four in the morning point where you're like, my puppy won't sleep. What do I do? And normally they wait till seven till they contact um, but it just gives people, <laughs> it just gives people that reassurance and that human voice. So although it's an app in your phone, there are, we are at the other end of a WhatsApp. We are at the other end of an email. And hmm. again, going back to that sort of stuff, a lot of it is just getting people to understand it's really hard work having a puppy. This is normal. So we'll grow out of quite a lot of it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and how much does the app cost? Um, so for just the basic lessons, so uh, access to just the lessons without the expert support, I think it's about 15, 16 pounds. It, it varies hmm. depending on which country you're in because the currency. Um, and if you that's, want the experts. That's about $20 then, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then um, the expert support. So that would be like your WhatsApp and your email support. And it's kind of lifetime, really. Um, is about thirty pounds. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you, much cheaper you than. Get, so you've got the basic groundwork. You've got the the, the the tests, and you've got the 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 skill learning stuff already in the app for your for your twenty dollars or whatever it is. And then mm-hmm. if you want to go to a whole new level and get that tuition and that coaching from a real human being, then that adds on to that particular app. That's yeah, and I mean, fantastic. It sounds 30, amazing. Yeah, we. I mean, I, I, am really, really enjoying working for the team. I really believe in the product. Um, the people that I work with are just very inspirational. We really get things. So working with a lot of Europeans is interesting as well, rather than just working with Brits. And we've now got um, our American expert supports as well, who've all come from the Pet Professional Guild. Um, so they're like very. Happy and fluffy, lovely, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot of Americans are, which is like really nice because English people are so dry and a bit miserable a lot of the time. <laughs> Absolutely, we um, all are. <laughs> yeah. That sounds fantastic. So, that's, so that's an app called Zigzag. That's an app called Zigzag, which, which helps take you through puppyhood and uh, hopefully bringing up well-behaved and uh, cooperative dogs. For the rest of the rest of their lives as they they grow forward, so you can get zigzag on. I presume if you if you go to zigzag dog, that tells you a lot of the info on it. But right. also you can download it in the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. I've just I just downloaded it on um on my iPhone. Yeah, you can get so a free trial. There you go. Free trial. There you go. So uh, I shall. Uh, you you have to get started by putting in the breed of your puppy. Yep. I can do it now, but uh, it looks fun. I shall have a go at it later. So if you think you're getting a puppy or you've just got a puppy, get onto Zigzag. And zigzag.dog, was that? That's right, yeah. That's, a cool, that's a cool website. Great, isn't it? Zigzag.dog. I like that. <laughs> Brilliant. That's excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Trina. That's fantastic. You're right. Brilliant. It's probably time. Katrina. Have you heard about 60-second CPD? I have, yeah. I have heard a bit about it. So, Katrina, you up for this? Okay. Yeah? You've I've, got a timer there. Okay. I think this will be brilliant. So what, what are you going to do your 60-second your CPD on? Um, my 60-second 60 60 CPD is going to be on separation in dogs. So, Katrina Firth, 60 seconds on separation in dogs, starting... No. So separation anxiety in dogs is a catch-all term. It can mean lots of things to different people. It generally means isolation distress, meaning 
the dog's happy to be with a human. Any human will do. Um, lots of clients will come to veterinary practice saying that their dog's struggling with being alone. The best thing for you to do would be to seek out the services of a certified separation anxiety trainer like myself, or you can direct them to any of these books, which are Be Right Back, by Julie Naismith or Separation Anxiety and Dogs by Milena Di Martini. The good news is that separation anxiety is fixable. You can fix it. You can train dogs to cope with being on their own. And we do that through a system of gradual desensitization that is exposing them to the trigger, the trigger being left alone. You may need pharmacological intervention. That would be a, a decision for the veterinarian to make. And that's it. And that is 60 seconds. Wow, that's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Katrina. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it was, uh, yes, nicely encapsulated in that, in that just a minute. Yeah, it's all, <laughs> all for a bit of fun, just to show that we're giving out our CPD. Absolutely. Um, and because and, we can't CPD, because <laughs> we can't CPD, Julian, have you got a CPD certificate for tonight? I have. I have. By full of a chance, I have a CPD certificate. Here we go. This is the CPD certificate. And it says, Certificate of Togetherness. All right. This certifies that dog owners need to know their dogs have emotions and needs. And then it says, cats just need food. Uh, there's a picture of wolves, which dogs aren't anymore. There's a picture That's of a right. dog, which clearly is not a wolf. That's my dog with uh, hardly any legs that work. And there's uh, a Labrador with um, uh, four legs that work. Uh, but they're both dogs. They both have their own individual needs, which owners need to know. Um, that's uh, my face when I'm presented with a behavioural problem in the practice and I reach in my book and think, who should I refer this on to? And from now on, it's going to be you, Katrina. <laughs> uh, there, there's a hedgehog putting itself up uh, because I like hedgehogs. And that hedgehog doesn't something. like you. That hedgehog's all curled no, up. It doesn't like no, you. no, that, that, that does like me now. It follows me around the place. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, happy fish. Too happy fish. There we go. So uh, I've no idea why I put the hedgehog and the happy fish in, but I just like the pictures. So, Katrina, you've um, you've given us your attention, and we've given you our attention for a goodly amount of time, and we've learned loads from you. Absolutely. And I feel really fired up now about animal behaviour, separation anxiety. And I've actually gone ahead and ordered that um, that book. So that'll be arriving by one of the online delivery services. Uh, all it remains to say is thank you very, very much Absolutely. for enlightening us and, uh, and, and, and lightening our, our evening by your, by your presence. So thank you so much. Katrina, may your dog go with you. Thank Katrina, you. Thank you for having me. May your dog go with you. <laughs>